Hello and welcome to Meiwei's Chinese Medicine Matters podcast, where we share traditional Chinese medicine news, research, and topics relevant to TCM practitioners and students. I'm Lauren Koffel, and today's episode is on navigating holiday eating and healing the Yi spirit. This episode was researched, written, and is read by Dr. Kim Pirano. Dr. Kim Pirano is a practicing acupuncturist and transformational coach in San Rafael, California. She is a published author, speaker, and intuitive healer. Dr. Kim's treatments and offerings aim to access the deep inner workings of the mind-body-spirit connection to help her patients unlock the root cause of disharmony. Dr. Kim is the founder and CEO of the Integrative Healing Institute, a nonprofit education and research institution with a mission to help educate practitioners and the general public of the connection of the spirit, mind, body, and healthcare. In private practice, she treats patients for trauma, major life changes, and spiritual growth, as well as pain management and sports medicine. As a transformational coach, her work centers around helping her clients develop self-awareness, confidence, and the ability to transform their problems into opportunities. Her healing approach is to unblock misalignment in the body-mind-spirit so her patients can experience a deeper level and layer of their most authentic self, free of pain, stress, tension, and full of confidence and vitality. For more information on her practice, offerings, and to receive free meditations, healing images, and more, please visit www.lionsheartwellness.com, which you can find linked in the episode description. Hi, this is Dr. Kim Pirano, licensed acupuncturist and doctor of acupuncture and Chinese medicine. And today we're talking about navigating holiday eating, healing the yi spirit. When the holiday season approaches, I invariably encounter questions about maintaining a healthy lifestyle or preventing weight gain during this festive period. As a practitioner who adheres to the principles of health at every size, haze, I view these inquiries as a doorway to a broader cultural concern that of a pervasive tendency toward fat stigmatization with an excessive focus on weight loss and so-called, quote, healthy eating at any cost. In my role as an acupuncturist, it's common for individuals to seek assistance with weight loss. For me, this represents an opportunity for education and coaching aimed at helping people establish a healthier relationship with food and their body. This guidance steers them away from potentially harmful diets or regimens that can lead to disordered eating patterns and directs them toward true health, which entails finding balance and moderation in all aspects of life. It's crucial to understand that there isn't a sustainable long-term solution for weight loss that works for everyone. Most studies examining various weight loss methods rarely extend beyond two years, which results in yo-yo or repeat dieting. And with the recent surge of the use of diabetic injectables for weight loss, this topic is very much at the forefront of current discussions. The process of shedding pounds is strenuous and stressful, and this additional stress accompanying the pursuit of weight loss and dieting can actually increase our cortisol levels, which may actually accelerate the aging process rather than deter it. 
Although health outcomes and weight may be associated, there are no clear causal links. To me, this implies that if health is the primary concern, there are usually safer and more effective paths to achieve it without intentionally shedding weight. I take my patient's mental health very seriously, and I've witnessed and experienced firsthand the harm that excessive dieting can inflict on one's mental well-being. Thus, when the subject of weight loss arises, I am unequivocal in my stance. Supporting intentional weight loss is not a service I provide. Healing one's relationship with food, feeling less distressed about your body, and identifying wholesome solutions to chronic health problems without focusing on weight loss are where focus should lie. The Yi Spirit and Disordered Eating I think the Yi doesn't get the credit it deserves. Although the spirit comes up almost as frequently as the Hun in practice, I find it much more nuanced and subtle. Many women and some men in my practice present with varying degrees of the yi disturbance. These patients are plagued with overwhelm, overthinking, worry, people-pleasing tendencies, and codependent relationships. Not everyone presents outright with disordered eating, but on further investigation, we generally find some sort of disordered relationship with food, exercise, and body image, such as a history of dieting or weight loss attempts, clinical eating disorders, or even fasting and other health-based restrictions around eating. My top signs of a yi disturbance include, but are certainly not limited to, obsessive thoughts and overthinking, the inability to take action on our ideas, our thoughts don't align with our actions, disordered eating and or body image distortion, muddled thinking, people-pleasing, helping others at our own expense, and a difficulty or inability to set and hold healthy boundaries. I find this cluster of symptoms to be very interesting because they are so commonly found together. It's a general presentation of using our chi for others at the expense of our own needs, which can result in being stuck and unable to take action, overthinking and worry, and issues with food and body perception. As our chi becomes depleted, there isn't enough remaining to truly live a vibrant life. It's also interesting to note that the symptoms caused by a yi disturbance can also create a yi disturbance. It's a kind of chicken or the egg paradox. But the good news is that the way to heal and reintegrate the yi doesn't require knowing which came first. Our yi spirit is the center point between heaven and earth. It connects and helps facilitate communication between the more yang spirits of the shen and hun and the more yin spirits of the po and zhur. Just as the spleen and stomach helps us digest our food, the yi helps us digest our reality and helps us to acknowledge, assimilate, and integrate the experiences we have in this lifetime. In a healthy state, the yi is about setting intention. It takes the insight of the shen, the goals of the hun, and sets the intention for the po and zhur to transform these plans into reality. If the yi is detached, we may never get started on our ideas because we aren't energetically signing the contract to begin with. Recognizing this type of spiritual detachment in clinical practice can be very difficult, and it often takes a deeper understanding of the patient than just one or two initial meetings. As we learn more about their history, particularly emotional history, we can begin to understand which spirits may be affected and then adjust our treatment plan accordingly. When patients are not responding to typical treatments in the way we expect, this is usually an indicator that there is a spiritual component. Asking about childhood traumas, significant events, and parenting styles they grew up with can also be interesting clues for diagnosis. For the Yi, the patient may have been exposed to alcoholism early in childhood, had caregivers who were in a codependent relationship, which is often typical in alcoholic households, 
or caregivers that criticized their body, put an emphasis on looks, and created a disordered environment around food, such as forcing a child to clean their plate when they weren't hungry, using food as a reward or a punishment, or putting the child on a diet for weight loss. Healing the Yi revolves around harmonizing and tonifying the center. The Yi is the center point of the spirit, so we need to create a safe space for the Yi and the earth element to thrive in. This may include improving digestion, tonifying qi, and helping the patient create healthy boundaries. We will go over some very tangible intuitive eating strategies in a bit, which are incredibly helpful for patients with a yi disturbance and disordered eating tendencies. For an acupuncture treatment, we're going to work on the earth element and help patients feel centered and grounded in their body. Some of my favorite points for this include stomach 36, leg 3 miles. This point helps a person generate and hold more chi and energy and use that energy to step forward in life and move through things when they feel like they're on the precipice of giving up. Splain 6, 3 yin crossing. The point where the three yin meridians meet is generally used to tonify and bolster chi and yin fluids. Splain 6 brings forth the qualities of all three elements which pass through it. The vision and growth of wood, the cleansing and releasing nature of water, and the supplementing and nurturing qualities of earth. Stomach 25, the celestial pivot. This point is quite literally the center point of the physical body, the bridge above and below, and a personal favorite for a yi disturbance to help a patient bridge their yang, ethereal, spiritual qualities with living in the world in their yin body. And bladder 49, the hut of the yi. This point can be a subtle harmonizer to help the patient make a connection with their true purpose. Self-healing principles are about making small changes consistently, keeping promises we make for ourselves, learning how to set clear boundaries, and healing our relationship with food. The key here is small bites. These aren't promises like hitting the gym every day. It's small promises like making the bed every day, and something we can surely follow through on. The act of doing it helps rewire the brain and invite the yi back to the center again because we are no longer denying our own needs or reality. Learning to set boundaries is another frightening and potentially difficult act. While it may be useful to work with a therapist to help with this, small bites is still the principle. Setting a boundary around things that aren't important helps us build the muscle to set boundaries when things are more important to us. Incorporating the intuitive eating principles and practices outlined below can perhaps be the most important aspect of self-healing for the yi, especially when we've had issues with our relationship with food and our body in the past. As the yi heals and reintegrates, we will notice increased self-confidence, particularly around the ability to set boundaries or say no. Our relationship with food and our bodies will begin to improve. We often feel less reactive or attached to this aspect of our being, knowing that our inherent truth is not rooted in being a body, but being a spirit. We can follow through on our promises to ourselves and we can manifest our ideas into intentions to set forth into the world. So now let's talk about some intuitive eating practices for healing the yi and navigating holidays. One of the first practices I give patients is tuning into hunger and fullness cues. For patients with a history of dieting, fasting, or disordered eating, this practice can be truly transformative and exceptionally beneficial. When we embark on diets, we inadvertently convey to ourselves that we must disregard our own inner voices. Over time, this can lead to codependent patterns and people-pleasing behavior, especially when dieting was instilled during childhood or persists over an extended period of time. Essentially, when we diet, we have to ignore our own body's hunger and fullness cues to stick to a diet to adhere to that outcome 
And this precipitates over all areas of life when we do it too excessively or at a too young age. So we learn that my own needs don't matter because I'm trying to get this external outcome. Learning how to tune into your body's signals and subsequently honoring that information can be profoundly healing. So the steps are quite simple. I use a scale from 1 to 10 to describe hunger and fullness sensations. Number 1 is absolutely starving, and number 10 is painfully full. So we have 1, absolutely starving, we're having physical symptoms like being faint, your stomach hurts, you might be dizzy, hangry, hung-fused, all of those things. Number 2, we're starving. We're often having physical symptoms, they're just maybe not as severe as in a number one. And number three, we're definitely hungry. At this point, physical symptoms of hunger are not quite present, but we know that we're hungry. Number four is I need to eat soon. No physical hunger symptoms are present, but we know we definitely need to eat soon. Number five is like could eat soon. You're not totally hungry yet, but eating should be happening around now. Number six, I'm satisfied with a little room for more. Number seven is satisfied and content. Number eight is full. You're feeling physically full, but not uncomfortable. Number nine is overeating. You're physically full and uncomfortable. And number 10, that painfully full sensation. Now our goal is to maintain a range throughout the entire day from a four to a seven. So need to eat soon to satisfied and content. We eat when we're comfortably hungry, but not excessively hungry. And we stop eating when we feel satisfied and content. A straightforward practice involves checking in throughout the day, especially when it's not mealtime, to help us start to understand and tune into these hunger and fullness cues. We become more attuned to what these sensations mean and where we fall on the scale. Another practice I use often is mindful eating. We live in a really fast-paced society and culture, and unfortunately, eating on the go or while multitasking is a really common practice. I am guilty of it, and my hunch is that you probably are too. No judgment. One issue that arises when we engage in mindless eating or fail to be fully present with our food is that we tend to disconnect from our bodies. In doing so, we lose touch of our hunger fullness cues, essentially missing the meal. And we don't experience the same level of joy and satisfaction because we barely notice that meal in the first place. Embracing mindful eating can be very challenging. Many patients face various obstacles when I recommend this practice to them. Primary objective is to consume at least one meal a day with complete attention and focus. No reading, no watching TV, no being on the internet, no working, no listening to music, not even engaging in conversation, being fully present with your meal and observing what you notice. Initially, this process can be difficult, even painful and agonizing for some individuals, while other people may adapt more easily. It's truly remarkable how this practice allows us to tune into our feelings while eating, leading to more satisfying meals. Mindful eating techniques help us reconnect with our bodies and minds, and often shed a lot of light on our behaviors and thoughts related to food in the process. My next intuitive eating strategy is creating balance and we're using macronutrients and joy to do this. So for some of my patients who have not fully embraced this anti-diet movement, I like to take this middle ground approach and guide them towards a healthier dietary structure by emphasizing balance. This means that we're incorporating all macronutrient groups, fun and fiber 
into every or most of our meals. This approach can be particularly useful when we're dealing with issues like binge eating or when reintroducing foods that were once deemed off limits. By allowing ourselves to enjoy a wide variety of foods and foods that we love, we can loosen the grip on that disordered eating and reduce the urge to binge as we're no longer restricting ourselves. It's a straightforward strategy. When you're craving a particular food, it's important to give yourself permission to enjoy it. Restricting it is only going to increase the desire to binge. To achieve more balance with eating this food, we're going to ensure that we're utilizing additional foods with this meal to create this balance of macronutrients and fiber. So we want to include carbohydrates, which provide energy, fats, which offer stable energy, protein helps you feel satisfied, fiber contributes to a feeling of fullness and has a lot of health benefits, and of course, foods you crave, which contributes to your overall happiness. As an example, how can we make pancakes healthy? Here's how we might use this balance method to turn this into a really balanced meal. So we have pancakes. Those provide carbohydrates and fulfill our food cravings. We love them. They're delicious. We can add some breakfast sausage. Maybe that's a turkey breakfast sausage. So we have some protein and some fats. And we're going to add some strawberries on top of that, which are going to contribute some fiber and additional carbohydrates. When we approach our diet in this manner, we tend to feel both physically and mentally satisfied. And we also benefit from the additional nutrients we gain from this balanced meal approach. So when we're navigating holiday eating, going to events, parties, dinners, etc. is going to be something we might have to encounter. And we might really enjoy this as well. But it can be very difficult if we have a difficult family or people who are really reactive around our food choices. So boundary setting and communication is another important tool here. When we're heading to family dinners, this can be stressful for some people, especially when we deal with that food pusher or judger type family members. You might have a mother who consistently adds extra food to your plate without your consent, a grandmother who gives you disapproving glances if you decline to eat her pie, or good old Uncle Bob who makes weight-related comments regardless of your size. These situations can be challenging, and it's often tricky to weigh the pros and cons. Like, should you just skip it? How can you assert yourself without being very defensive or reactive? Developing those skills takes time and practice, but every small step matters. I think that the most crucial thing to keep in mind at these events is that we're entitled to say no without offering an explanation. That is your right. Setting boundaries revolves around your own behavior and the limits you establish for how people interact with you. We cannot control what other people do. So it's not about controlling what other people do or don't do or asking them to make accommodations for us, but controlling what we do when those accommodations aren't met or when things aren't going the way that feels comfortable for us. So before attending events, you can create a personal game plan. For example, you might want to reach out in advance and inform your family that you're not entertaining questions or comments about your body or food. Perhaps you decide that if they disregard this request, you're going to leave that event. Your plan can be as complex and tailored as you prefer, but having a strategy in place beforehand can bolster your resolve, enabling you to stay true to yourself during times when you might feel significant pressure to conform to your family's desires or comments. And finally, when things inevitably deviate from your plans, as they always do, 
we want to tune back into practicing self-forgiveness. This is a pivotal component for ongoing progress. It's absolutely okay if it wasn't perfect, or if you succumb to grandma's peer pressure. Remember, it's just one day among many, and a single day does not make or break your journey toward health and healing. Finally, a note on alcohol. It's crucial to address the topic of alcohol consumption. How should an intuitive eater approach alcohol? The key is to tune into your goals, expectations, and the aftermath of consuming it. How are you going to feel? And carefully consider your choices based on what you're seeking and the experiences that you want. This principle can also be relevant for individuals with food sensitivities who still have a fondness for the foods that make them feel unwell later. So you're not having a complete allergic reaction, but you really love cheese and it really upsets your stomach later. So how can we choose when, where, and how to consume or not consume these types of foods? When we're deciding whether to drink at an event, it can be beneficial to ask yourself this question. Will drinking enhance or improve my evening and to what extent? If the answer is no, it's very evident that drinking may not enhance your evening and it certainly won't promote your health. However, if that answer is yes, then we're going to explore how much alcohol is the right amount. Is it one drink? Is it five? Does becoming very intoxicated or just a little bit tipsy genuinely enhance the evening? Am I using this as a way to avoid something or to soothe my nerves? Consider how you're going to feel afterwards, both physically and mentally. Does that feeling align with your overall health and life goals? The decision to drink or not can be complex for many of us, and that's perfectly fine. Asking these questions helps us gain insight to our motivations for drinking and establish some guidelines for determining the right balance between beneficial or enjoyable alcohol consumption and behavior that may be problematic or counterproductive to our goals. If you have food sensitivities, the same questions tend to apply. Is the pleasure now worth the potential discomfort later? And sometimes that answer is yes, and oftentimes it's also no. I really enjoy intuitive eating because it allows and encourages you to enjoy. Food is fun. It tastes good. It's social. There's so much around food that we enjoy as humans and culturally. So intuitive eating really allows you to enjoy. I think one aspect of holiday eating that often goes underestimated is simply how enjoyable it is. Let's be honest. It's a unique time when we receive a bundle of 30 types of cookies in the mail, and it's genuinely fun and enjoyable to savor each one, even if it might lead to an occasional stomach ache or gaining a couple of pounds. Restricting yourself from the foods you love during the holidays because you fear it's going to undo all of your progress can set you up for overindulgence or experiencing regret later. It's essential to remember that one day of indulgence or even one week of indulgence is not going to undo progress or jeopardize your health. Just as one day of healthy eating or one week of healthy eating or exercise is not going to magically bestow health or fitness upon you. This is a long game. You need to remember to enjoy when we have the opportunity to enjoy. So please embrace the holiday season, have a bit of fun, enjoy the delightful foods if you so desire. Practice self-forgiveness when things don't go the way you planned them to, and remember that it's all part of the celebration. 
today's episode was written and read by Dr. Kim Pirano. Access to this article and Dr. Kim's website can be found in the episode description. And please subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support and to hear when our next episode comes out. In next week's episode, you will hear from Dana Yates on the beloved formula known as curing pills. Until then, take good care of yourself and your patients. Chinese medicine matters, and so do you. Hi everyone, Lauren here again, wishing you a happy and healthy May. As many of you know, Chinese Medicine Matters is the podcast of Mayway Herbs, a TCM online store and dispensary where practitioners can ship directly to their patients. This month on Chinese Medicine Matters, we're focusing on women's health. We'll explore a wide array of topics related to women's health at different stages of life. So stay tuned for informative episodes you won't want to miss. And we're excited to offer a special discount on our Women's Health Formulas category the entire month of May. Practitioners use code WOMEN24 at checkout on mayway.com to receive a 15% discount. And remember to sign up for the Mayway Herbs newsletter for exclusive content and ongoing promotions. The episode description includes a link to sign up. And thanks again for tuning in and supporting Real Chinese Medicine.